till I throw up, smoke till I sew up. We Shut out here fooling, we probably never Make grow sure up. I know you see me shining, them haters they like so what? But do me a favor, don't show up when I'm tripping, but don't show up when I'm Hold up, hold up, hold up, preppy, come on I don't remember none of you niggas when I was unknown Nah, I never heard you singing one song Now nah, I got the bases loaded and I'm about to run home You know I brought my niggas with me Baddest bitches in the city Sipping on so much to rock these hoes Probably think I'm dead Switch to Henny, now we off a glass like a bank shot We be spending more money than the bank guy I'm addicted to it Still remember back when niggas wouldn't listen to him Now these hoes be like, damn, I love that nigga music And I'm blowing up, 25. look like you bitches blew it drink till I throw up, smoke till I sew up We out here fooling, we probably never grow up I know you see me shining, them haters, they like, so what? But do me a favor Alright, alright, so once again, I'm keeping this whole thing rolling and this time I got somebody that I've known for a long time in full effect. Um, definitely, I know that I'm getting old. So uh, I know he's getting older, but he's still <laughs> way younger than me. So, I mean, it's it's one of those things where, like, he's probably in his prime when we think about being in the prime. And definitely one of the people that engages in my first love, and that's hip-hop. We got Rip, off-ripped in the studio. What up, though? How you feel? How you feel? I mean, I'm good, man. How you Good, good, man. Glad to have you in the Detroit is Different studio as I get this whole thing going in my crib right off Davidson and Linwood for everybody listening. it's um, It definitely doesn't look like uh, people are recording podcasts over here. I may I may have like the only podcast recording going on maybe in a, uh, in a 10 to 12 mile radius until <laughs> <laughs> you get to like Wayne State. I'm pretty sure a lot of them people have it. But um main thing is the guest man and you grew up not that far from here i've known you for a while you used to yeah. record actually in the same house back when i was running my studio and i called it the track cave you were one of those people right down 12th street we interconnected yeah. through uh, a homeboy of mine low and uh, let's talk a little bit about growing up off 12th street yeah man i grew up on a uh, calvert in 12th between uh 12th and 14th man uh i've been there since i was what maybe three years old and uh i, I probably didn't leave till I don't know, man. I was about 20, man. You okay. know, so, yeah, I I grew up over there, man. I feel like it groomed me and made me part of like, who I am. Okay, now you say you were there from three on to then. Do you remember uh, anything about where you guys lived before you lived there? Uh, yeah, um, Alter Road on the east side, man. Oh, so y'all moved from the east to over uh, yeah. that way. Yep. So did like, um, and, you, and you got brothers and sisters and everything. So did y'all older brothers and sisters, did they grow up on the east side and then come to the west? Now that I don't know. Um, okay. I just know when, uh, when Malik was born, that's when we moved over to 12. Okay, so you kind of really remember that. Yeah, yeah. All right, all right. And when you talk about Malik, Malik is your brother, also hell of an athlete. I think uh, between him and Ricky Paulden and Joe Crawford, they got to be going down as the greatest Renaissance basketball players ever. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, you know, Malik was a um, McDonald's All-American at mm -hmm. uh, Renaissance, and he uh, went on to the University of Oregon. Got drafted by the Phoenix Suns, traded to the San Antonio Spurs, played there for a couple years, and now he's uh, playing overseas. Okay. All right. So, now as you talk about that and balling and being in that neighborhood, 
what was it like just uh, as kids as you know interacting with so many of them because to learn how to hoop you gotta definitely be hooping with the other kids in the neighborhood well yeah man it's interesting man because you know i don't know if y'all really know about 12 i know you do but you know it's the hood man and my parents, they tried their best to, um, you know, to keep us safe from that environment. But it's interesting, man, because we hoop, and that kind of brought everybody together. You know, no matter what type of dude you was, you know what I'm saying, you hoop. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you was really in the streets or you was in them books, whatever the case was, man, basketball was the common thing that we all did, and. Honestly, we was the best in the neighborhood, man. So, mm-hmm. you know, they, they all they, they respected us over there and they liked us. And, like, our backyard was the spot, you know. Everybody would come hoop in our backyard from all over the neighborhood. All right. So, backyard basketball, and there's a lot of analogies I make to it even in business. As I talk about, you know, if you're good in business, it's like backyard basketball. You stay on the team and you keep running. Yeah. So, you know, you all had the home court advantage of, the true home court advantage. I think that's where the phrase probably comes from. <laughs> yeah, yeah, ain't, ain't nothing yeah, yeah. like hooping in somebody else's backyard. <laughs> where they, they decide what out of bounds is. <laughs> they decide what die is. They decide what shots is. They decide what fouls are. All types of stuff. Yeah. So um, were you guys hooping on like a regular rim? Was it uh, put well, up? Was it 10 feet? Was it 8.5? Was it 9? What was it? Because uh, as um, – when we were really young, man, we had a crate on the garage. When we were super young, crate, yeah. Like okay, learning crate. how to shoot, yeah. learning how to shoot on a crate is some of the hardest shit to do. Yeah, ever. You will really develop a jump shot with the crate, and also it's a is it, it's is definitely not the way basketball. Is <laughs> no, 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 for sure. <laughs> and then as you know, as as my parents, you know, they started doing better. They were mm-hmm. able to buy us like a real rim man with the fiberglass and all of that. Okay. And, and yeah, man, we had the spot, man, and it's interesting, man, because my dad, my dad was like Joe Jackson out there, man. He uh, <laughs> he would he would be training us like crazy, man. And I ended up having surgery on both of my knees. Um, when did you have surgery on your knees? Um, eighth eighth grade was the first surgery on my hmm. right knee, and then uh, I want to say the summer before ninth grade was the um the second one, man. What was it like missing? That whole summer in eighth grade, because I assume time right now moves so fast, like it's it's already feeling like summer, even though we in the thick of February. But in eighth grade, summer seems like an eternity. What you was know, that like? You know, it wasn't really as much as the weather as it was just not being able to play basketball. Like mm-hmm. that was my first love. Um, I knew I was going to the NBA, man, and um, mm-hmm. it's interesting, man, because I feel like at one point. It was difficult for me because I had been that guy with basketball, mm-hmm. and then I'll never forget it, man. It was uh, it was after my second surgery, mm-hmm. and I played Malik one on one, and he beat me. Oh shit! And man, I, I man, I almost lost it, man. He ran around the neighborhood, mm-hmm. ran upstairs, told my parents, and man, it, man, at that point it was like, oh man, it might be a wrap. Like, mm. and I could still hoop, man. I um. I couldn't move as fast. I couldn't jump as high or whatever. But I wouldn't say it was as much as missing out on the summertime. It was more so, like, dang, man, I can't hoop. You know what I'm saying? That's really all I did. So mm. so just not being able to hoop. So what did you do? Um, It's interesting because that's how I started rapping, man. Um, hmm. My um, my older brother, he used to um, – Mo, he used to write poetry. And when I, at one point I was in a wheelchair off one of those surgeries, bro. Hmm. And – I couldn't do nothing. I 
start writing down my, 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 my feelings about about the situation. Then I start forming it into rhymes. I didn't know how to write bars. Um, it's interesting because Lo is the one who taught me how to write bars. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I just was writing it down. Then I started rhyming. And um, my older brother, he saw like he picked up my notebook and he was like, "Hey, yo, man, it's you." Like, yo, this kind of dope or whatever. And that's actually how I started rapping. All right, so it started really a transition between basketball to rap, kind of just due to something that you didn't expect, most definitely. Yeah. And as you started to transition into rap, were you putting all the time that you used to put into basketball into rhyming? Um, at that point, I would say, yeah, I was. Um. Man, I've always been like a creative guy. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you like, you listen to my music now, like it's it's big on concepts. I'm big on you know punchlines and things like that. Like so, I've always been like a, a naturally creative guy. I used to write um, even like man stories, uh, short stories. You know, as a kid, I was really into that um, in school. So I think that. With, with with that being a part of who I am, my personality, I think it really translates in, uh, into the music. All right, so as we talk about translating into the music and school, one of the people that's big in this is your dad, Mr. Harrison. For sure. And I, I look up to your dad big time, too, because your dad that. is uh, one of those people that, if anybody's seen TV 33 uh, for years, the morning show, and I think he had to have been getting, like, the biggest ratings on that show on that uh, station yeah. for forever. You know, people calling in and your dad giving his take on politics or giving his take on what needs to happen next with black people or just giving forums on culture. Um, when it came to that creativity, were you inspired by some of the things that you saw your dad doing? Um, yes, he's actually, man, my dad is really hands-on with my music. And mm-hmm. it's interesting because, man, sometimes... When I'm when I'm playing it for him, like I cringe a little bit because of the like the content. Sometimes you know it's not necessarily what you want your parents to hear. Mm-hmm. Like my mom actually, she hates that I don't play play my music for her like I do for my dad. Like she might hear it when it's all finished, but you know, like I think me and my dad have that relationship. Um, he gives me input on it a lot. Um, he um he's big on um voice like he has he has a good voice like you said he does the the tv show and the radio show so he'll give me pointers on you know what to do with my voice and Mm -hmm. how you know how to play with it and things of that nature so yeah and definitely with style your dad is like one of the coolest dudes (laughs) that i've ever known it'll be like uh one of the things you know wherever it may be like last time I saw you was at your record release a couple years back with yeah. a mixtape, you know, and you see nothing but like twenty somethings, and then you see your pops in there just like moving the room, and just, <laughs> yeah. you know what I'm saying, like kicking it with everybody. It, you know, when I think about that, I'm like, yeah, that's Mr. Harrison because that's his vibe, and that's that's like where he gets his feel from. For so sure. as we talk about like vibe and feel and voice and where you go with stories, what made you want to go from a person that just kind of liked rapping to pursuing this full time. Um, well, that's that's the interesting thing, man. Um, so, um, like you mentioned before, like Low introduced us. Mm-hmm. You actually gave me my first shot recording ever. Mm-hmm. So, like you know, I and, and this is from the heart, bro. Like I literally feel like I'm forever indebted to you. Oh, you man. called me, bro. It, like I'm there. Like I appreciate it. Um, you got you got me my start, man. Um, 
And, you know, I was really into it, man. And I think I was always, like I said, really creative, but I, I wasn't that good. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I go back and I listen to the old Track K mixtapes and mm-hmm. it's like, you know, you, you could hear some flashes, but a lot of it was offbeat and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. um, you couldn't have told me that back then. I thought I was the coldest. Um, as you're supposed to as a rapper. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, during that Track Cave time, man, um, I, w- I would have said that I was focused. I thought that, you know, it was the move. And then um, as as we all started to go our separate ways, um, you know, I started to do solo music. And I was doing open mics and all kind of stuff. And, man, I really feel like I wasn't getting the love that I thought I deserved. At mm-hmm. that time, I think I had gotten a little better I think I had honed my skills um and I just wasn't getting the response that I wanted man and I probably didn't rap for like four years bro Hmm. okay and that's something that I didn't know uh and let let me give a little context to the person listening for the track cave the track cave like I said is the studio that was in my basement where we're actually in the house right now and it was the group and the crew that we created and named and as a crew and a group looking to successfully venture into the music industry as rappers now with that i knew a lot about engineering because i just went to school for engineering but i was fresh and really anybody looking to be an engineer the best way to be a good engineer is it's experience you have to learn you have to hone those skills those are the best engineers and i also had a lot of equipment i invested a lot of money in equipment even to this day i invest in a lot of equipment i love having the ability to do stuff which that welcomed a lot of different producers and from those producers came i had these tracks and we wanted to have a crew we wanted to make music we wanted to do shows kind of one step followed the next and Rip was one of the people that was in the track cave. It was, it, it was a lot like, you know, if you could kind of think about this, the, the making the band show that, that, that Puffy had. So it was like the making the band show, but all of us were the band. You know, we were just like maybe like one or two sidewalks paces ahead of everybody else. But with that, you know, we, we kind of came together. So it was Rip, it was Khan or Kills made made be what people attribute and that's my homie even yeah. to this day um, I ran uh, Brandon uh, which man I can't even remember what was his Logic, name. Logic. Uh, you had Cortez and I definitely don't remember Cortez Doc Holiday. Doc Holiday. <laughs> you had Low which was Lalo yeah. and that was our, like our mutual friend I went to high school with Low uh, you also had who else was in the track cave? I have no idea. It, it, it started getting to a point where it was like uh, the NWO and wrestling. You looked up and it was like all new people <laughs> in the track cave all the time. Uh, but within that, it was music that we were creating. We did make one mixtape. We also did help Khan get his first EP, which led to his opportunity uh, signing with Purple Gang and moving forward with what he did with Proof. Right. And that was all maybe around what was that oh three oh four oh five it, it was somewhere oh, like in that oh three oh three so yeah this was this was a while ago and you were the youngest of us all yeah. like holding it down as far as you know getting that experience and you know getting into the whole field of what 
being an MC and just getting some studio experience was. Right. And that was back then. I remember you had this song, No nah, Man, that we worked on half uh, back and forth um, where I was uh, working with you on the hook and the timing and just working the bars out. And that's just really the start of where MCing came from. Now, after the track cave, we, we broke apart because like most groups broke apart like the direction and what was next I think anything in music is like surfing even though I've never surfed I figure you catch a wave and if that wave stays high you can stay together but the minute that that wave turns it's hard to really keep people together yeah. and that's been me with my band general population that was track cave that's anything dealing with creatives if you don't really add more I guess fuel to the fire if you don't have something bigger like you know even if that's something bigger it starts small that's why I always think people should start small so if it starts with let's write a song and then it moves to let's record a song then it moves to let's uh, master and mix this song then it moves to let's put this on the internet then it moves to let's move make a video the minute you start staying stagnant is the minute that anytime you're working with a creative or a group of creatives is very hard to keep the energy together you have to keep the energy going if you're doing shows in detroit this year you need to be doing shows in chicago next year in yeah. new york the year after that in la the year after that in south america the year after that you have to keep going it's perpetual if you really want to keep creatives going and i feel that you know, uh, looking back at it, it was a lot of things I learned about business, a lot of things I learned about personalities, and really a lot of stuff I learned about myself that I still even apply to business to today. So I give all that context to the track cave to put back in your court to say, after the track cave, you said that it was a point for four years where you just didn't rap. Why did you stop rapping? Um, but I, I guess I just got kind of got frustrated, man. I um. I felt like I was doing all that I knew how to do at the time. I felt like the music was there, um, and I felt like it just wasn't the sound of the city. And I felt like that that, you know, I, I wasn't I wasn't going to progress. I didn't know what to do. I kind of just fell back, man. I started working a a, a job, um, and you know, I hadn't worked a job in a long time, man. I was, you know, I've been a party promoter since I got out of high school. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and I start working a job, and um, it's interesting. Um, my homeboy uh, franchise, he had moved back from Cali, and he was uh, he was rapping, and um, he asked me to get on the song, man. And I got back on the song with him. Then I did one with my homeboy Ryan Dance, and I was like, you know what? I said I'm gonna get this another go. And then the opportunity um, presented itself to make this song with um, with Royce the Five Nine and Joe Button. And that's kind of what springboarded me back into it. All right. So you springboarded on to when we think about lyricism, I think two of the greatest at it ever. Yeah, you know, for sure. I, I'm definitely more of a Royce fan than a Joe Budden fan. But, me too. you know, pound for pound, those dudes are like MCs, MCs, MCs. And when you think of yourself as uh, somebody lyrical with the pen and likes to move the pen, how did that even happen? How did that opportunity present itself? Um, one of my homeboys, uh, Ty from District 81, he has a relationship with Royce. Um, mm -hmm. Royce, you know, he, he he would wear the clothes um, and videos and shoots and stuff like that. And um, 
you know, they were kicking it or whatever, and he, he taught him about me, and he was like, yo, I got you, you know, like, let's put it together. So he put the song together. So then, like, I was always a fan of Joe Budden, so I reached out, like, yo, like, it would be dope if we can get Joe on here, too. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, Royce connected the dots, made it happen, and you got the song Cocky and Arrogant. Okay, so how did you like how that song came out, and how did you feel? Well, let's even go back to this, you know, because I love, I'm such a hip-hopper. How were you feeling in the studio knowing that you had them on a track with you? Well, it's interesting, man. Um, So I uh, I get the call, like, yo, come to this studio. Um, This is where Royce is going to record the verse at. Um, and it was my man Asar. So that's mm-hmm. the beginning of my man, uh, mine and Asar's relationship. So we can get into that later. Um, but so I go to Asar's studio, and man, Royce the Five Nine to me could he Royce could literally be the greatest lyricist ever, in yeah. my opinion. Like yeah. it's, it's it's definitely up for debate. So mm-hmm. I'm seeing him work, man. I'm 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 in the studio, and this is uh. If I'm not mistaken, this is before he stopped drinking because he doesn't drink anymore. So he like had like a, I don't know, man. It could have been a half gallon of eighteen hundred. Okay, that for for people that don't know how that looks, a half gallon of eighteen hundred is more tequila than you need for a party of four. <laughs> yeah, man. Five, six, seven, and really eight, unless you know you planning on sleeping in. <laughs> So yeah, right. You know, he, so he, you know, he's just he's drinking the tequila and he's sitting there he's playing the beat. He's just vibing. He got his notepad, and it's interesting because you know, man, you don't see a lot of people still writing music down. A lot of people are off of their phones or even off the top. Royce is still sitting there pinning it on a uh, you know on a notepad or whatever. And man, he, he's quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I say about thirty minutes later, he goes into the booth. And I think it's around the time with the bar exams where he's re- really going crazy on all these beats with the punchlines and the different flows. And, man, I didn't know what to expect because you kind of know, like, man, you know, I'm an unknown. And it's like, yo, is he going to, you know, just phone it in or what is he going to do? And, man, he gave me an incredible verse, bro. And I sat there and I watched it. And I can't lie, I was I was a fan, bro. I was mm-hmm. sitting there like, this is amazing. Yeah, you were feeling like, you were feeling like, man, you know, I am on the All Star team right now. Yeah, yeah, it was it was it was an amazing feeling. Like, How am I gonna get these minutes in? So, oh. what was your approach to what you did? Um, <laughs> man, you know I. I didn't know if I could out bar Royce mm-hmm. <laughs> on the record, but I was for sure gonna try. You know what I'm saying? I got you. <laughs> and you know, I um for the t- at the time, I think I wrote the verse of my life. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. that that was that's how I went into it. And then we waited for Joe Budden to send his in. Um, Joe Budden sent his verse, and you know, I li- I liked the verse. Um, honestly, if I if I had to judge it. I would say Royce was first. I got Joe Button, and then Joe Button would be third. On the <laughs> I feel that. I feel that. And that's actually a dope song. I'm going to probably put that in uh, the middle of this so that people can get like a feel of it. Cool. Um, along with that, moving from there, what was your vibe towards rap after that song? Well, 
because franchise, I, I need to say this too, because he kind of got me back going, um, I wanted to share that look with him. So I put him on the hook of that song because he got me back going. So he's actually on the hook of uh, okay. Cocky and Arrogant. But um, so we send that song out to the blogs. Mm-hmm. Um, who did, who sent it out? Um, this guy named Juan Neal, man. Uh, he, he was a blogger at the time. Okay. And um, he sent, he sent, we sent the record out. And it lands on every major hip hop blog out there. Okay, so mm-hmm. wherever I go and get my music from, it's there. Mm-hmm. So you gotta imagine, man. I'm I'm a little younger. I'm I'm pretty naive to how the music game works. But I thought I was famous. I thought I made it, bro. Mm-hmm. I never forget. Um, one time I went out and I performed the song. I don't remember where it was at, but I performed the song. And I never forget it. I put the mic to the crowd on part of my verse, like the crowd was supposed yeah. to know it. Uh-huh. And the song wasn't, you know, looking back at it, of course, it, it didn't get to be that big to where the whole crowd would shout out mm-hmm. the lyrics, man. But at that time, I thought I was that famous, bro. It was literally on every major site. Um, then I got a video. It was like a, one of the first, I was one of the first people in the city to my knowledge, that had like one of those HD videos when everybody got those cameras and all of yeah. that. I think like Rose Spit was the first guy I seen with it. Mm-hmm. And then um, I, got, I, I was the next that I knew of. And the video was so crispy. I have Royce and Joe in the video. Yep. Every time somebody sees me, they're coming up to me. Yo, you off rip. Yo, I love the song. It's super dope. So it was my first, it was my first experience um, with... What, what, what I guess success in music mm-hmm. so I thought that I was famous bro I, I would wear shades everywhere I went I feel that man I would wear shades to my parents house bro okay. like, it was you were you like, you, 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 <clears throat> you were feeling yourself big time yeah man so it was, you know it was interesting man um but yeah I was I was nowhere near famous I had no idea <laughs> how it really worked bro <laughs> all right so from there what was the music that you were working on um so this is the thing. Um, after I realized that I really wasn't famous, okay. um, um, you know, I continued, and it's crazy. That's the first song, by the way, on this uh, this mixtape I'm about to talk about. So that was my first solo song that I recorded after coming back, which is uh-huh. crazy for it to be the first song. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, um, I started working on the mixtape. I kind of wanted it to be my introduction, so I called the mixtape "Meet Off Rip." Mm-hmm. Um, so at this point, man, you know, I'm 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 putting out records with uh with my crew of people, um, franchise, uh, my man D Rick, and um, Stack Doe. I um, went to high school with franchise and Stack Doe. D Rick is somebody I knew from um, a friend, another uh, mutual friend. Okay. Um, so we put in our records. We did a record called. What studio? Bobby. What studio were you working out of? I was recording at a SAR studio. Just the. Uh, so the from there, you said, "All right, this is where I'm gonna stay. This is." Uh, I, I love this the, this the field house where Royce is uh, playing. Exactly. This the field house I'm playing. Yeah, I and, you know, I love the sound. Um, I was comfortable in there, man. I, I record there to this day. I, you know, unless I'm doing a feature and somebody asks me, I don't record anywhere else. And let me say this: and I've known a SAR since. Black Planet Days? <laughs> I've known Asar since even before then. Yeah, Black Planet Days. I've known Asar since 10th grade. Oh, okay. Because uh, his 
brother Greg yeah was uh one of the big people like really pushing that switch play TV and I met him originally like way back in the day okay and this was back when uh Greg and Asar were working with my man they were working with my man Aaron and Aaron at the time this is when I went to King High School was like the best MC at King so this is so far back it, it goes it goes way this is 90s, 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 90s. Okay. Charles Woodson not winning the Heisman Trophy yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? So that's that's what I remember because I remember Aaron was the first person rocking the Charles Woodson jersey. Like, man, who is that? And he's like, oh man, he, he, he dope. That's how that's how you tie stuff together when you're a kid. Yeah. So um, so from working there, grinding out, you finished uh, your mixtape. Well, Meet off rip. Well, before I finish it, let me say this because this okay. is this is instrumental to my story, man. I um, so my homeboy um Cap, I met Cap through um a mutual friend as well. He didn't do music, but so Cap, man, he had a big song on the radio. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was a couple years prior, um, or maybe yeah, a couple years prior to me really getting back into rap. But me and Cap had got cool. And you know he's, he's had a huge song on Detroit radio. It yeah. was it was added into rotation. It's called Next Thing You Know, man. And I um I wanted that. Mm-hmm. So at the time, I'm I'm really focused on on bars, man. Especially after coming off with that joint with Royce and Joe, I'm, it's all about bars. I want to show people I can rap. And that really was even with the track game. That was your perspective. Yeah, yeah. A lot of the track game members, it was like lyricism. Yeah, you know, not necessarily. You know, it's a lot of different ways. I think you can take hip hop. Um, it's my favorite art form, as I always say. But it's different things you listen for and different appreciations. Even the music that people sometimes trip out and they say, "Damn, you listen to this," and it's like I hear what they're doing and I see where they're going. So under the structure of which. How, you know, Lil Yachty is making a song. This is a great song. Now, would I make this song? And no. Would I pick this beat? No. But under the premise in which what he's going for, perfect record. And yes, you are always into lyricism. And then on the flip side of it, especially when it comes to Detroit Radio and actually a lot of the understanding of how a lot of the listeners to Detroit rap, I don't think a lot of the listeners to Detroit rap on a overwhelming level appreciate the lyricism even though we have some of the greatest lyricists yeah, for in sure. Eminem Race 5-9 and Rest in Peace for my man Proof and Bugs and so just, just great lyricists yeah Elzai I mean you, you just think about it on, on a lot of levels yeah. I mean really even Mo Dirty it's like Mo Dirty doesn't rap like he used to rap but Mo Dirty's amazing when it comes to like, if he really wants to roll up, oh uh, yeah, man. If we lyricism. If, if if we're naming people who are, you know, not necessarily those who are on the, on, you know, on that industry level, man. You know, it's tons of people like Rose Spit, Marv Rose One, Marv One. You yeah. know, it's tons of guys. Man. Yeah, Lee Erickson. I mean, it's it, it's it's guys that you know you'll sit down and this is uh, to me this is how you know a lyricist because it's not performance. You can pick up their notepad and you can read their lyrics and you'll say, "Wow, this is this is amazing." Yeah, that's a lyricist. Yeah. Whereas a performance is like you need to see it. You know, you you need to see and hear 
what juveniles doing are ludicrous to say, yeah. oh yeah, this is this is a good this is a good song. But you know, if you sit back and you read, you know, ludicrous lyrics, no offense to ludicrous, you'll probably it, it, it won't even be understood. By the way, Juvenile is one of my favorite rappers of all time. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like him. I like him. Yeah. I like him. But in lyricism, can't yeah, can't right put him. Right, 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 for sure. Alright, so what happened in that in that meeting of Cap? What happened there? Well, you know, he um you know, I just I just wanted I wanted the radio, man. Um my um it's interesting too because my manager, um my manager Dave Doe, he um he was rapping at the time. Mm-hmm. And he did a song called Still Sipping and he asked me to feature on it. I had met him, um he was I think he was blogging and rapping. Okay. And he asked me to do a record with him. I did the record. It's called Still Sipping. And it got it got a little radio play. It was my first time being on the radio. Mm-hmm. So it was, was kind of like a combination of, you know, you see what Cap was able to do with a huge song in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Then I experienced it some with with, with um with the Steel Sipping record. Like, oh man, it's kind of cool. Um, and Dave got it on there, man. He just had a whole bunch of people tweet uh, Dr. Darius like, yo, you know, yeah. and it, it showed that he had a lot of support. And Darius, you know, he ran with it and played it some. You know what I'm saying? So that mm. was a cool experience, man. And I wanted it. So now I know you have relationships with a lot of radio people, and I do too. But I think the best way you can get on radio is to buy your way on radio. And actually, the best way you can probably be heard in any level is to buy your way in. Now, when you buy your way in, you still have to have a song that people like. But overwhelmingly, people buy their way in time and time and time and time again. And that's a Kari Frazier belief that I've seen proven time again. I have no comment on that. <laughs> yes. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, man, so I made this song called... Uh, we in here, um, mm-hmm. and you know it's on the um, my first mixtape, Meet Off Rip. So I made the song, and it was like a cross between. Like, it's like yo, I'm still trying to 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 um, the lyricist, be, yeah, be lyrical and not sell out, if you will, mm-hmm. but still give them some some commercial appeal. And I had a um, I had one of my homeboys, uh, this guy named Dez, a uh, kid, clever. Mm-hmm. Um, Low actually had him give it to. Um, Take it up to 107.5. Mm-hmm. And it was like, yo, like, this ain't it. Like, it was like, I mean, the hook is we in here. Like, it's 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 generic. I hear this every day, whatever, whatever. So I took offense to it, man. I, um, I'm like, man, like, yeah, all the stuff y'all know. play is generic, bro. Like, are you no. kidding me? The, the next summer, a, a guy had a hit on there called I'm Out Here. So yes, I mean, literally right after. Yeah, right, that's yeah. crazy. You know, so and that's like, and you know, it's crazy. That's my, that's my guy too, man. He actually went to my middle school, Dusty McFly. Um, yeah, but he's, like he's I my said, young homie, buying your way in is definitely, <laughs> it's definitely the way to go. Yeah, you know? it, you'll be surprised how a thousand dollars can change the uh, attitudes, mood, taste, and perspective of a lot of people, yeah, especially yeah. <laughs> a uh, radio personality. Yeah, so I um. You know, I was frustrated with it, man. Um, my girlfriend at the time, um, I'm telling her about it, and I, I, I'll never forget this. She she looked at me, and she was like, you'll never be on the radio making songs like this. So that was a, man. So being told no by the radio station and then hearing my, my girlfriend like look me, look me in the face and tell me that, mm-hmm. 
Um, I hit up with Sar. I was like, yo, I need a beat, man. I got an idea. Um, we got in, we got in the studio, and he's like, what's the concept? I said, it's called Don't Show Up When I Blow Up. Um, and I was like, man, it's kind of like, you know, I guess the title is self-explanatory, man. It's like, I felt like I was getting told, no, you can't do this or it's not going to happen. And it's like, all right, like I hear y'all, but don't show up when I blow up. Mm-hmm. And, man, we, we, we locked in the studio, man. Um, the song might have took me a, um, just to get it right with the hook. Um, it might have took me a, maybe a week, maybe, um, to get it right. I sent it to my homeboy, uh, DJ Ray. And he was, at the time, he was doing um, holidays at FM 98. He actually is a, you know, he has his own spot on 98 on uh, Saturdays now. But at the time, he was only doing holidays, you know, the mixing weekends. And I was like, yo, check this joint out. He called me. He's like, yo, you did it. He's like, you got one. Mm -hmm. And he played it. He might have been on four times that weekend. He played it all four times. First mm-hmm. time I was ever solo on the radio. And, man, it it really just started to blow up, man. People were hitting him up. What's that record? People um, people started hitting me up, asking me for the record. I didn't know how to properly service the record at the time. Um, so we got that together. Um, and it's man, it's it's actually crazy, man. Cause like I said, I was a party promoter, so I knew all these DJs. So I'm placing the music in their hands, so it's getting played in the club. Mm-hmm. Um, so then it's, it starts to get interesting. Um, every time I walk into a club, they shout me out. They're playing the music when I'm there. They're playing the music when I'm not there. It's on the radio every day. Mm-hmm. And this isn't like you said. Uh, it, it, this isn't payola, bro. You didn't buy your way. No, in. this is not payola. Mm-hmm. So. The song, like, it, it was organic, man. Um, mm-hmm. Low was my manager at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, Low saw I needed help. Low saw it was kind of taking off. Um, we got T-shirts. We got CDs. We um, go and pass them out. And, I, you know, I, I owe a lot to Low too, because, like I said, um, Low introduced me to you. Low helped me uh, structure my bars. Low uh, managed me earlier on. Low would get out there, and he would... He would make sure people had the CDs and the T-shirts, and man, he really helped a lot. If, and and let me say this: and Low is our mutual friend, and that's how I know Rip. And if it's anybody that doesn't hold their tongue and isn't afraid to introduce themselves to somebody <laughs> other than myself, it's him. Yeah, y'all both so like that in when we both sure. when we both are in the presence of whomever, and it could be it could be whoever. So people can say. Hey, that's the person that you need to meet because they own it. And it's like, oh, him, Dan Gilbert. Oh, well, then I need to meet this guy, Mr. Gilbert. I got this, you <laughs> yeah. know. And now, whether what we have will turn into something lucrative or whatever, you know, pulls no punches. And I, I strongly urge of anybody to be able and willing to take the benefit of the doubt of introducing yourself to who you need to know. If there's somebody that you need to know, and just take that opportunity. And reintroduce yourself every time that you need to. Because it gets to a certain point, it's like Chinese water torture, where they 
yeah. eventually break down and say, all right, damn, you I still admi- around? I admire that with you and LL, man. I think you hit it like, like you spot on with it. Like, both of y'all have that quality. I actually, I don't. Mm-hmm. But I've always admired that, man. Like, Thank you. It doesn't matter, man. You just go up to whoever and, mm-hmm. and introduce yourself, say whatever. Yo, I need this done. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, this is me. Whatever it is, yeah. man. So, you know, that's I, I admire that quality in both of y'all. You hit it spot on. Mm-hmm. So as don't show up when I blow up blow, blows up yeah. <laughs> as that becomes more popular, where does that take you? So um, if you thought that I was filling myself with cocky and arrogant, yeah, like you hadn't seen nothing, man. I uh, mm-hmm. so I'm getting I'm getting and I you know I always been a guy who got girls, man. But this took it to a whole nother level, man. Mm-hmm. Like girls asking to take pictures with me that I don't know, they they, they sliding in my DMs and mm-hmm. it's just man, it's interesting and I got addicted to that. Yeah, I I I, I love that life and I wanted it forever. So now my approach to music changed. So now I'm going in there trying to make don't show up when I blow up every time. Mm-hmm. Um. So, so it changed from lyricism per se to saying, "All right, I need to make songs that are more, yeah, uh, I guess accepted." And, and this is what I think that lane is. And it's a lot of rappers that, like I say, I tip my hat because that's a hard lane to be in. And that's basically making music that is popular. So that means that you're gonna make music that people probably will dance to, yeah, and music that can be played in the club, in the strip club. And make music that people identify with. So, and I think that this generation of rap is great for that. Meaning, like it it embodies the it embodies the feeling and the lifestyle and the culture of a whole audience with the music. I think Future is amazing at that. Meaning, like people don't even know what the hell he's saying, but it's like <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know what I'm saying. I I I'm like that. I I, I identify with this. I. I Feel that, you know, French Montana. He making music. He's making music that people want to identify with the culture, not necessarily the lyricism or what you're saying and how you're saying it. Which I'm definitely way more connected to as I was groomed in that era of you know idolizing the Rock Him, the KRS One, the Chuck D, uh, you know, the Big Daddy Kane, and you know that that drew over to Nas and Jay Z. Yeah. What what's happening? What you're talking about is a whole different vision, you know. For sure. So as you went down that lane, what type of music were you producing? Did well, you enjoy it? How did it change your process? Well, "Don't Show Up When I Blow Up" was was still one of one of the last songs that I did for the Meet Off Rip project. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like Meet Off Rip is still it's still kind of raw. You still get the lyricism. Um, mm-hmm. I think that. Um, but after 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 that, man, um, I moved on to the "Don't Show Up When I Blow Up" project. Mm-hmm. The song it did so well; it became my movement. Um, I had a slogan: "Off Rip is the brand name." Don't show up when I blow up is the campaign. Um, it was just it was the movement, and I wanted that feeling that I had with uh with "Don't Show Up When I Blow Up." So every time I would go in the studio, I would try to make a hit. And I, I what I didn't realize is, man, I didn't go in and try to make Don't Show Up When I Blow Up. It, it ha- was organic. It was organic. It happened because that's how I was feeling. 
But you had songs along the way, like throughout this time, I believe, like Xbox and some other songs that I think grab that thought process. Because I think really to make a hit song, as you're talking about speaking for the culture and the yeah. lifestyle, what you really have to do is you almost have to entrench yourself. You almost have to be so smart that you're stupid. You have to entrench yourself in the culture, in the identity, in the in the in the feelings yeah. of everybody else, but make them your own. That's why you know that's the chief keep. That's the so many of these artists right now. I think that that is the popular narrative. Yeah. You know, uh, even when we think about like I guess it's the biggest song right now, "Bad and Bougie," the whole thought process. And then, you know, it's an argument where, you know, I'm an old head right now. It's like, man, I can't believe a man calling himself bougie. But that's that's what we'll say. But the the idea of what Migos represents to the people listening to Migos, and that's why it's a hit song. It ain't well, even what they're saying. Well, I think that, um, well, first off, that song is amazing to me. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't make any sense. No. The first part of the hook doesn't even connect with the second part of the no. hook. Um, the bad and bougie part, I never took it as they were calling themselves that. They were referring to a chick, a woman. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. So I never, you know, I never took it that way. But the, the the first half of the hook and the second half of the hook, they don't even relate at all. No. But you know, it. You know, I think it's a dope song, man. I um, I I don't I don't think that, like like what you said, like you take someone like me who who, who is more of a lyricist. And then goes into that world. I think it is kind of like what you said. You have to, you have to think. You have to put yourself in that realm. You yeah. know what I'm saying to make that. But mm -hmm. some of those guys, like 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 the Migos, yeah. it, it seems like they're not putting themselves in that realm. No. It's organic. That's who. But 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 I think that this is where I would I would argue that you're in that realm right now because you've been making hit. Oh, songs for sure, for sure, it's different for now. a while. Yeah. And 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 you're. And then that's really an extension of who you've been for a while. It, it was really, you know, as when we get into lyricism, what you do to be a hip-hop lyricist takes study. It takes discipline. And I'm not saying make, making hit songs doesn't. Being flow rider, it, it takes discipline too. But it's a different approach to it. Like, it's not studying the art form as much as it's studying the vibe of the people. The strip club, yeah. the real club, the yeah. the it when you know it's going to the it's going to a strip club and realizing that damn every guy in here is doing this. Yeah, every guy in here is thinking that. Every every girl in here is 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 responding like this when the guy says, "Yeah, bam," you know. So then it's like, you know, clappers to the front. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so you know it's it's like it, it's a it's a it, it's it's being very in tune with what's around you where I think lyricism and that narrative, the Nas, the Jay-Z, yeah. the, the the Big Daddy Kane, the Rock Him, because this is really kind of coming from the Rock Him family tree of lyricism. When you're doing that, you're really going internal and you're really kind of going outside of really what is the culture that we even identify with and digging deeper into the English language. You're yeah. digging deeper into concepts that you don't know about you're 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 going through thought processes and things and, and tying them together and then you're giving it the street perspective for sure 
to present lyricism. So it's it's the it's kind of the same thing, but just a whole different approach of consciousness that you got to take. Cause I think that really to make hit records, you have to be in that zone like a flow rider. You gotta be in Live. You gotta be in Puerto Rico. You yeah. have to be in the Dominican. You have to hang out. You have to be up till three, four in the morning and feel that vibe because it's like I know that the 19, 20, 21 year olds and even the people in grad school or college, when they do hang out, this is what they're gonna be, you know, this is how they're feeling. So I have to feel that. You know, you can't just be in the house saying like, you know, I, uh, it's easy to make a hit song. Because it's not easy to make a hit song. No, not at all, which was going to bring me to my next point. Um, so I started on the Don't Show Up When I Blow Up project. Um, of course, I put the song back on this project. Mm -hmm. So I started making these records, man. And <laughs> I uh, every song I'm trying to make a hit record. Um, the first song is a song... Um, at the time, I, I I called it Beyonce. I ended up changing the title, but that was a smart decision. Um, but I I remember, man, I sent it to DJ Mo Beats, um, Big Shine's DJ, and I just wanted to know what he thought about it. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't finished, and he threw it on this mixtape. Mm. And I I at first, at first I was kind of pissed, like man, like it's not finished. I you know I wasn't. I was just sending it to you just to check on it. But then I thought about like the old days with the clue tapes and, yeah. and all that shit. Like that's how it really goes, bro. Um yeah. and like I wanted to put someone else on the hook. Um it was me. I I, I was like I had auto tune on my voice and um but I just rode with it after Mo Beats put it on there and he's like, I rock with it, I'm gonna put it on uh J O B and mm -hmm. um I got some love, man, with it on radio. It, it wasn't I don't think the song was really me and like I said it wasn't finished either so it kind of bothered me but um you know some people rock with it some people didn't it wasn't it wasn't the same feeling but I did get some love I still kept getting the chicks with it chicks like yo turn me into a Beyonce because that was the hook yeah. um so it was cool so you know I, I, I do that I drop a couple more records and I'm asking the DJ it's like yo how you feel about this one how you feel about this one oh it's cool oh I rock with it but it's not don't show up when I blow up. Every time that's what the DJ said to me. Every time. Like I started feeling like like uh Eminem. Like I'm not gonna be able to top how my name is. Like Yeah. <laughs> like it really started feeling like that. Um and uh you know, like I said, I would get radio play, I would get club play, and you know, I was in the clubs because uh, I was throwing parties at the time. I don't do that anymore. But uh, you know, it was it was a part of my lifestyle and it kind of really became. I don't even. Want to, I don't even want to say it became who I am because it. I, I guess you're kind of right. It's, it's always been a part of me and who I've been. Um, I just kind of ventured off into that with the music. Um, but yeah, man, I kind of got engulfed in that in that lifestyle. Um, and I, you know, I just had a hunger for. It. I just wanted it. Um, I put out the project. Um, so then you get. Um, you get another conversation that begins to happen. Um, DJs, they're telling me, you know, the project is great. One DJ in particular, um, he told me, like, man, I think you have five songs on here that are better than any song any local artist has. And, you know, they started telling me, like, yo, like, you need to move. Like, you, you've done everything you can do here. 
your music is all over the radio. It's um, you know, it's all in the clubs. You may have reached your ceiling. I don't know what you do from here. You don't have the sound that would um generate a huge fan base in Detroit. You know, mm-hmm. you have a you have the hood sound that everybody is familiar with in Detroit, and then you have the the, the hip hop sound that mm-hmm. um you know is that Detroit is more so known for you know outside of Detroit internationally. Yeah, so he's like, you don't have either one of those sounds now. Like you're doing, you, you're making more of the commercial music. You don't, you don't sound like the Cheddar Boys or or, or Fat Cat. You're <laughs> or not like Fat, Fat Cat. Cat, and you're not the Cheddar Boys. It's like, where do you go? You're yeah, not, you're not KDZ. Yeah, man. Or you know, or we bring it, you know, more current. You know, with with Doughboys and Vezo and those guys. T Grizzly. Yeah, T Grizzly. You know. So so yeah, man. So um, in the midst of all of that. I've started on working on an album with Cap, um, and and it's funny you said that because Cap does make more of uh, he has more of a crisp club sound for sure, uh, a very commercial and, and people hear commercial sometimes and it turns them off, especially from my era. But when I think commercial, I think in the sense of it's more it's. It's more popularly accepted because, like I say, it's tying into the lifestyle that more people tie into. Yeah. You know, you have to be the type of person to want to say, hey, you know what I'm saying? This person is about to make the, you know, I mean, I love, I love what, you know, J. Cole is doing, but I, me and a lot of J. Cole fans are on an island and liking <laughs> his music, even though he has a lot of fans. Yeah. But what J. Cole is doing. You know, 20 years from now, it's going to be very tough to put him on that rap tour with seven other artists where you say, oh, yeah, I want to see them. Right. I got you. Yeah. You know, whereas you can probably put Cap in that slot like, okay, we're going to have Cap, we're going to have Ludacris, we're going to have DMX, (laughs) and we're going to have uh, Nelly. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, um, and um, then let me say this, too. Really, because what you're doing is, is so is so hip hop is when you make music that people can club, dance, strip club, and party to. You're making music for the DJ, and that's what it is. It's ending up in the rotation. Yeah, you know, as much as everybody says they love Nas, and I'm gonna use him as a reference. You know, outside of when it was popular because it was on TV, you know, no DJ is dropping one mic in the middle of their set. <laughs> Whereas you may still hear Jay Z's Big Pimpin' or I Just Wanna Love You because it's like, I like the tempo, I like the bounce, I like the bop, I can spin out of this. Yeah, when so. you feed the DJ, you more than likely will end up being a very successful performance and well played rapper. Yeah. So I, um, I had, uh, I had told Cap, like, I guess Cap had got frustrated too. And he hadn't really been putting anything out. Um, at this point, we had both put out two solo projects. Um, I think that you know they were you know decently received. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, you know I, I thought he was too talented to, to not be out here. And I didn't want him to be like like I was, and you know take off four years and wait and waste that time. You know what I'm saying, so to speak. So I said, "Yo, man, like 
you know, he would, he was on both of my projects, and I was like, yo, man, you know, people always tell me, you know, they like the chemistry with the records, and, you know, y'all make dope songs. I said, let's make a group project. And um, so we, we, we started that. We, we got Cap back going. Um, we started making these songs, and it was interesting, man, because we bumped heads earlier on because um, we actually do have two different type of styles. Yeah. Um, so we kind of would bump heads, and then you know, egos with flair. It was, you know, it was, it was, it was a lot of interesting sessions, man. A lot I of, can imagine. a lot of yelling, a lot of alcohol involved. It was, it was interesting, man. Yeah, you, you <laughs> now like have spent the amount of time you working with Cap in the beginning was like when I was working with you guys in the track cage. Yeah, yeah. So you probably at that point were like, oh, this was the shit they was going through. Right, exactly. So it's like no wonder. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we, you know, we, you know, it's a lot of arguing and all that, man, and. And then we finally we, we finally hit that groove with the music, man, and it started to come together. And um, we made our single, our first single, which was a uh, dollar sign. Mm-hmm. And we, we we sent it out to DJs. We started pushing it, hitting the clubs. Um, and we we decided that we were going to try something and just step out there and really invest in ourselves and and and, and take it out outside of Detroit something that we really hadn't done like you know we would do things here and there but this was really next level stuff and we um we uh we started doing a radio campaign it wasn't just local radio so now we moved it throughout the Midwest then we moved it to New York then we moved it to satellite radio and we're getting played in all these spots um and the music, you know, the music is growing. Um, DJ Envy interviews us, and and um, we're, you know, so so we're on Shade for a Five, we're on Hip Hop Nation. Um, the song is spinning every day in Detroit, it's in rotation in Toledo, and you know, it's you know, it's interesting, man. Like, um, so I would say it was probably my my um. Well, our most successful song, you know, as far as the spins and all that, I don't think the song was as special to people as "Don't Show Up When I Blow Up" because of how it resonates with people. And then Caps Joint, next thing you know, um, I don't, I don't think Dollar Sign was as special as those records. It was, it's something unique, and I think like when you're when you're trying to get on in this in this music industry. I think it has to be something special about you, your sound, your record, and I think we had that back then with those songs, but I don't think we had the knowledge that we have. Well, I know we didn't have the knowledge that we have now. So then with this song, people like it. It sonically is good, you know what I'm saying? But um, I don't think it was as special. So it did a lot of stuff for us, man. We shot a dope video, helicopter. Bentley, Ferrari, um, the works is on uh, all the major blogs. We um, premiered it on BET Jam, so we made it to national TV. That was a great feeling. Um, but man, even after all that stuff, man, it it still to me it didn't do what I felt like it was supposed to do, man. I like we invested a lot of money into it. Um, we real we we. Man, we really did a lot with the record, and 
at the end of the day, I I, I was left feeling like, yo. The of the return. Yeah, man. come back the same way that you were expecting it. Y- yeah. Um, so, like, me and Cap, we have this project we're about to put out soon. Um, we've been releasing new joints off of it. I got a, um, a new joint. It's called Atlanta, Miami. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that people really will resonate with the record. It's a little offensive to uh, women, but... <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, I think people really will resonate with the some record. Of the, some of the most uh, <laughs> resonating hip hop songs historically is offensive are offensive to women. Yeah, so, yeah. So, um, but it's actually a fun song, man. Like you know, like girl girls like the song too, man. You know. Oh no, no. I actually, I mean, when we think about you know, Two Short's biggest audience. Yeah, women, yeah. Luke's biggest audience. For so sure. Women. You know, so when we think about what the song is and how it is, it's like Atlanta and Miami, like saying, you know, like basically like women will travel to Atlanta and Miami and that's what they want to do, especially when they need to leave their home cities because I guess they've been too promiscuous with the gentleman (laughs) in that home city. Now, with that thought process, um, that is a perfect idea tapping into the culture because this is something that a discussion that's often had by so many men so this is something this is a bar conversation this is a guy talk and it's a it's a snapshot into it you know and then even though it's guy talk many women travel to miami and traveled in into atlanta and i go as far as to say probably fans of the song are like even though they made that song that ain't me you know, so like exactly. they're, they're probably some of the people that even like the record, but it's very, it's very much like on the pulse of something that is happening. So, so now you have another song that it generates a discussion. It's a, it's something that resonates with people again. It's, it's a special song now. It's organic. So, mm-hmm. so now you have like as opposed to Dollar Sign, which is a good record, man, but. It could be perceived as generic, maybe. You know, it's another song about money. It's not as, it's not as much, you know. It's not as much of a like we say. Uh, it, it's it's not touching that culture on a on a on, yeah. a on a complete level. Even though everybody wants money, it's not getting into the nuances of, you know, like you know. Um, I mean, when we think about some of the, I can't right now. Nothing's popping to mind, but I'm thinking of all these rappers right now. But you know, like I mean, Chief Keith. That's the shit I don't like. Perfect example of a song that's just like, you know what? Hell yeah, people do say that. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. It's like, yep, that's resonating. You know? So, so you know, that was kind of the goal with that record, and like, like I said, it's you know, it was it was very organic with it, man, mm-hmm. and virally. It's um it's moving pretty well um and that was the other the oh, other man, thing it sparked up so many conversations like even the stuff I was seeing I was seeing like different women I mean uh, the comedian and uh, somebody I look up to Heather J Bay like, shout out to long, Heather J <laughs> she made this long post about like how it's disrespectful for me to be saying this but it's it's provocative you know it, yeah. it will it will welcome that type of conversation and when we really think about hip hop itself. Uh, as NWA was just led into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah. You know, it it's an art form that does welcome that. Yeah. So like that song, you know, it's moving virally. I decided well we decided, I'm sorry, um, to try something different, man. Mm-hmm. I didn't wanna although the song, you know, it, it does get played on the radio and, you know, in the club, we haven't really pushed it there. We tried to move it virally because I feel like the content can it's actually better for that. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um 
so the song is doing pretty well, man. But so 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 now, you know, I, you're 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 brought up completely up to date. So now the struggle is now trying to figure out, okay, while we're pushing this online, what do we do here in the city? And that is a place, a space that I'm probably gonna have a discussion with my man. Uh, probably like one of the next rap guests I'm gonna have here, Stretch Money, and I mean he definitely. Uh, coming back from a good long urban vacation, yeah, uh, <laughs> has a lot of discussion points about that, and it's so weird. That's another one of like my little bros, and it's like, damn, dude, you a OG in the game to these cats. Man, gang, look at you, like you, uh, <laughs> 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 like you an old head. But um, but I, I'm unsure. You know, I'm unsure where it goes, especially because this Detroit market is so it's so unique. Uh, when we think about hip hop music and what it represents, uh, and, and where people are coming from, even with like the success of what Tiz, T Grizzly is doing right now, like the the style of it and, and who responds to it, yeah. and even you know when I think about the lane that I'm in, and it's so weird because I've had so much success with rap, but it's so many people in rap circles that don't know who. The hell I am, you know yeah, what I mean. For sure. So, um, you know, how do you how do you penetrate that audience that you really want to get? Right. So, um, we kind of, you know, I'm feeling like Kevin Durant over here, man. You know, you, <laughs> you, you can't beat him, join him, man. Um, so, well, I, I don't expect you to uh, join band gang because you may no. have an indictment behind that, brother. <laughs> <laughs> But but we do have a record, man, that we decided to make um, mm-hmm. for the city. Okay, I think it still um, it still has you know our styles with it. But it, you know it's a record that I think that the city uh, really uh, gravitate towards. So as we're pushing Atlanta, Miami, outside of the city and online, we're gonna be dropping a new record. It's a uh, it's called Swiper No Swiping. Um, and we'll be dropping that soon for the city, man. And we're going to really try to make the city move with this one. Okay. Okay. When it's swipe or no swiping, is that in reference to, like, uh, the dating application? Or is it in reference to? It's in reference to these, uh, getting, these uh, credit card scammers, uh, dog. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. it, it, it's, it's like swipe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple yeah. different things. It could be snatching Cartier's. Yeah, yeah. It could be... <laughs> Yeah, it could be credit. It could be credit cards. You know, I think like three references first, and then I think Tinder. You know, <laughs> so, so um, but okay, okay. And swipe, man. Sw- you know, the the whole credit card thing, man. It's just so big now in our community, and it, it's crazy actually. Mm-hmm. And it's like even the real street dudes. You got the you got the dudes who who sell dope. They don't, man. They don't respect the swipers and. You know, I at the end of the day, man, it's stealing. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And yo, they be out here, they be out here shining, bro. Like I tell you this, bro. Well, right now it's tax time, so <laughs> I can definitely say it's 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 oops, <laughs> and oops of people checking different Bank of America, Chase, and I mean even these rush card accounts looking to swipe. <laughs> yeah, man. You know, so you know, man, it's it's it's, it's uh. It's, it's it's interesting, man. Like, man, I tell you this: you don't want your girl, 
You don't want no swiper to get a hold of your girl because he will spend it all on your girl and it's disposable income for him. Like, it's not his money. They're going to go crazy on him. Like, it, the, the swiper, man, I don't know, man. It's just all super interesting to me, man. And uh, the other thing about it, so, that, so that's part of it because it's so big and, like, what's going on right now mm-hmm. in the hood. But also the other aspect of it, and it, I guess, is everybody, they want to know what I do. How do you make your money? Well, mm-hmm. yeah, I rap. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, how much are you? What, what, bro, what I do is I rap. I rap and I write songs. But they want to know how I'm able to, you know, live how I live. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? And then, you know, it's a similar type of deal um, with Cap. So that's the other thing, you know? So it's like they, they didn't put drug dealer on me. They didn't put swiper on me. So, you know... I think uh, and let and let me open up the books in reference to like some of the rappers I know. Yeah. Um, I think so much of making money as a rap artist, and this is a couple days after we've just seen the new edition story. Yeah. So uh, most of Black America at least watched it on BET, which BET I was surprised BET did such a good job because I was holding my breath like man BET may fuck this up. But, uh, <laughs> but I thought it was one of the better. It was, um, it was dope. It was biopics. Dope. Yeah. Yeah. So to make money in music, as most of everything I've done has been connected to really uh, what I've learned and me being inspired as a hip hop artist, it really takes a team effort. For if sure. you have a good team effort and you have a commodity, because that's really what you are when you're an artist. You're a commodity. So this is. One-on-one lessons. With my Howie Bell interview, I was just giving my one-on-one lesson on how I think to go about interacting with a promoter. But this kind of even ties into that. Uh, The one-on-one lesson of being a performer, especially when you're a music performer, is the commodity you offer is your music. And with that, it also ties into a lot of different ways to make money. Some of those ways to make money will be more creative just based on who you're tied to. So at one point in time, you were tied to our boy Low, and uh, you had T-shirts. But Low right now has a very successful business where he does printing, and some of that printing is the silk screening of T-shirts. Right. So you know you could have someone that's tied to your management that could tie to your brand that had access to your shows to sell a T-shirt where you all could come together and make some money. Right. So it it made sense. So, you know, the performance is a very natural dynamic. The music itself, especially today, is very, very tough to sell music, especially depending upon what type of music you make, which I think that my style of music lends itself to actually the music buyer because it's more niche and it's not as popular. But as the popular audience right now, between that age of really, I mean, we're getting into... I'd say the audience for rap is between 11 and probably 24. And that 11 and 24 year old doesn't even look at music like it's something that you're supposed to buy. So you may not necessarily make money off of actually selling the music depending upon what your music is. But you can sell the show. You can sell the after party. I mean, I had Bodie James in here the other day and it's so weird. one of one of the times uh, to to the release of one of his albums, it's like, yo, you can see him perform at St. Andrews for fifteen dollars, but if you go to the after party at the White House, that's gonna run you fifty bucks because it's <laughs> it's a shift in the culture. Yeah, the culture. I rather party with you, pop a bottle with you, 
than to sit back and watch you rap. Now, yeah. sit back and watch you rap is more of what I would want to do. And that may be more of what my fans tie to. But then it can tie into making an appearance. It can tie into posting something on your Instagram. It can tie into possibly networking the studio that you work out of for another rapper. It could tie into managing another rapper. It's a lot of different ways you can make money in music if you are an artist. But you have to have your eyes wide open. And you have to be working with a very, very tenacious and creative team about creating uh, revenue and, yeah. and revenue generating ways because it's uh, it's guys out here that you think aren't making money and they're doing very 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 well yeah, kind of sure. tied to music and then there's people that you think that are doing great as we saw in the new edition story and they're not doing that well because they had these record advances and they're paying them back exactly you know so I mean, the, the way you approach making money in music really does take a, a creative effort, a great team. And I, I'm speaking for anybody that's listening right now. The number one thing you really have to do is know that it's a commodity. You are not a gateway, meaning like it, you're, you can't expect people to look at you or, or I shouldn't say this. The best people you can work with aren't people that look at you and say to themselves, wow, you're you're a great rapper and you're very talented and I just want to see you blow up. So I'm about to take all this money that I earned from doing some other business and invest it into you. That may happen, but that happens that happens out of like, let's say out of a thousand occurrences that may happen a handful of times. Yeah. Most people will say, okay, I hate your music. People may say, sit back and say, I hate your music. Your music don't make no damn sense to me. I don't listen to this shit. I don't like rap. I think you ignorant as hell. But you actually make music that all of these girls that strip dance to. <laughs> you have thrown a couple parties here and they interact with your music most. So I want you to be the brand ambassador for Ace of Spades. Yeah, and then you is. sign the agree agreement. And and it's because it's a it's a commodity that they're buying. It's not them buying into your actual music. So you sometimes have to see past whether this person likes your music and yeah. move into who is this a commodity for? If you're if you're someone like currency, and I don't know how many people are familiar with currency, but currency's a New Orleans based rapper that is probably been underground most of his career but most of the music that he raps about has an overwhelming presence to rap about cars so because he raps about cars so much it's many different used auto parts shows and he'll show up to i mean not auto parts shows but used car shows and and car lots that tie into this guy's music brand and he's making a, a revenue stream from from Music that he creates into the fan base sure. and making money off of that alone. You know, when you think about your Atlanta, you know, you think about the uh, Miami Atlanta record that you all have. I mean, that could naturally tie, but you have to have the right person with a resource. But that could naturally tie from to a trip to Atlanta and Miami for you know, it could be possibly like a, a, a tour of like dancers. It could be a tour. Uh, rappers, it could just be a yeah, hey sure. man, you ain't never been to Atlanta and Miami. You know, you spent your whole life on Seven Mile, you know. <laughs> but it would have to be the right person with the network to resources in Atlanta and Miami and travel to make that make sense. Right. And it's like we can use you all as the brand ambassadors for this. 
Exactly. You know, so that's where the creativity comes from. So to really be a rapper nowadays, your brand, and people use the term, I think people overuse the term brand, but branding in reference to make money as a rapper, it really does matter now. So when you're making your music, you almost need to sit back after you write the record. This is what I suggest all of you all do. You sit back and you say to yourself, okay, if a nonprofit organization were to use this song, what would be that nonprofit? If a national corporation were to use this song, what would be that corporation? If this song were to be a person in a movie, what person would it be? If this song were to be a movie, what would that movie be? And then as you start thinking this stuff through, then you can start tying in the people and you'll know who to possibly pitch this to. Now, will you probably get your song to be the song for progressive auto sales? <laughs> no. But you may end up being able to work with the guy that owns a used car lot and say, alright, look, I got this many YouTube followers, I got this uh i got this many people at my shows last time look at my uh look at this video right here and what i'm telling you is i can be your brand ambassador for for three months and the package would include this many youtube videos it'll include this it'll include that especially with rappers i think the number one people that most of you rappers should work with being not you per se because you don't uh, have those types of troubles but rappers have legal troubles often legal trouble gun charges um DUI charges, uh, weed charges, uh, baby mama <laughs> charges. Rappers, you should look to work with attorneys because attorneys have to invest in their firm and you'll be surprised the type of money you can make if you give that, that attorney a couple of the referrals because the attorney's probably already paying a couple hundred dollars for some referrals. So if I can get you on record and give me a couple YouTube videos or go Facebook Live right now, it's worth it. And that's how you gotta think about making money in 2017 as a rapper. For sure. Yeah, the um the the, the swiper record, man, is really swiper no swiping. It's to one say, man, hey man, stop stealing, man. Get out here off your ass and go get it yourself, bro. That's part of it, and the other part of it, like, don't put that on us, cause y'all, you, you know, you don't see where the revenue comes from. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't put that on us. I, you know, I, I'm, I don't sell dope. I'm not a swiper, so that's what the record is about. Mm -hmm. Um, R. J. Lamont did the beat. Um, okay. you know what I'm saying? So we, we'll be dropping that soon. Um. We're gearing up to drop the project. The project is called Bad Boys 3. Um, so it's interesting. You know, it's two of us. Um, so you got the aspect of um, Bad Boys, the movie with uh, Will Smith, Martin Lawrence. So that's yeah. that's part of it, Bad Boys 3. Um, you know, um, the, the the third uh, Bad Boys movie is supposed to come out, I think, this year or next year. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, And then the other aspect of it, of it is, of course, the Pistons, you know. Mm -hmm. The 8990 Pistons were the Bad Boys. The 2004 Pistons, they called them Bad Boys 2. And then we're Bad Boys 3. So I didn't even know that we were calling the Ben Wallace Pistons Bad Boys. Yeah, for you sure. just gave me information. For sure. Yeah, you I know, called it, them. <laughs> I don't know what I called them. You know, same, the same kind of aspect of it as far as not having the a superstar. Work, and, yeah, 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 and the grit. Yeah, for sure. Even though Isaiah Thomas is, I think, pound for pound, the greatest basketball player ever. But that's the Kari Frazier opinion that I think should be more so adopted. Now, there's been some things off the court that has that have, I think, affected his status as being the beloved figure he deserves to be. Yeah. But, yo, pound, that's, that's pound, interesting. Why, yeah, why, let me ask you this. Why do you think that he doesn't get, I don't know, man, that that, that 
that notor uh, that notoriety they oh, deserve. Oh, because Michael Jordan hate him. The simple as that. Michael Jordan hate him. Scottie Pippen hate him. Carl Malone hate him. Obviously, um, you know uh, Phil Jackson. Obviously, I mean it's looking like Phil Jackson really don't like black people. Um, so Phil Jackson didn't like him. Uh, but yeah, he, it, he wasn't the most kind person either. You know, oh, yeah, yeah, so for sure, for so sure. we have to kind of get into that whole thought process. You know, even even the rumors about you know what they did to Robin's first wife, uh, yeah. him and Buddha and all them dudes. So he was not the most you know cordial guy. I mean, he's yeah. Southside, Southside Chicago, but even gritty ass dude. The stories I hear about Isaiah Thomas from back in the day, from like some of the OGs. I don't know how true they are or not, but. I really wish somebody could do uh, the same way I used to hear the stories about when Rick James lived in Detroit would do a real, <laughs> real Isaiah Thomas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I hear stories like Isaiah Thomas used to like roll up on street dice games on Seven Mile, and uh, you know, even if he lost, he'd take the stash and then roll off with his vet. Yeah, you know, all man, types of crazy. wild stuff. You know, so. but yeah, it's interesting, man, because I even just like I even just said it like you know, not having a superstar, and that guy is clearly a superstar. But you know, that's Magic Johnson too. You know, because the whole thing where Magic Johnson said, well, you know, the only way you get AIDS is if you're on the other side. And that, you know, for for about 25 years, Magic didn't even talk to Isaiah. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah, of sure. that statement. Sure. So, I mean, you get Larry Bird, Michael Jordan, and Magic Johnson to not like you. It's very easy to ostracize him. Yeah, for sure. From, from being uh, remembered as what I think he truly represented. I mean, the... the to think about his size and the type of player he was, two rings at the time of probably the most competitive NBA ever. Yeah, easily. That shit is crazy. Hey, I just watched the Bad Boys 30 for 30 again the other day, too, man. I always laugh when they walk off that court after they lost to the Bulls, man. It yeah, get me yeah. every time, man. I mean, but I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, I don't, I mean, it, are you supposed to shake somebody's hand after losing? I don't care what anybody say. I mean, you do the sportsmanship thing depending upon who the coach is, but they should have blamed Chuck Daly for that because it's, <laughs> I mean, really, it's, in, it's the coach's uh, responsibility to make their player, you know, have sportsmanship, if you ask me. Because if you leave sportsmanship up yeah, to most well, players, when you're kids, when you're kids though, man, he's grown. Men. It's a little different, even, man. Even when it's grown men, because mm. I can guarantee you, Draymond Green, oh, oh, Russ Westbrook, just a couple two weeks back, didn't didn't say, you know, hey, none of y'all shake, shake that hand, yeah, shake, yeah. Uh, Kevin Durant's hand. Yeah. He he instructed his team to do that. And I definitely think, uh, in reference to Billy Donovan versus Russell Westbrook, Billy Donovan ain't about to get into no riff with him, but it's a coach. I think a, a coach on whatever level, professional level, I mean, even with what you see in all this out-of-pocket stuff LeBron's saying right now, if LeBron had respect for the coach, he would have never said, we need more help on the team. Oh, yeah, I agree with that. He shouldn't have took that public. Yeah, that's a, that's a private that's conversation. A, that's a that's a classic. You respect the coaches different. Yeah. I mean, look at Kobe Bryant before Phil left the first time, and then Kobe after Phil left. His whole attitude towards dealing with media and everything was completely different. Now Kobe was still Kobe in reference to other players, but players inside the locker room, he kept that very inside. Yeah, you know, I mean, and and I don't blame him, but. That's out of respect for Phil because he had that Rudy T and, and I don't know who else was coaching Kobe. But people he ain't respect, and it was like, damn, I guess I 
I guess I need to respect Phil more. And uh, I, I, I just I just think a coach has a whole lot to do with that. And this shows your 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 continued basketball love, as I love basketball as as much as I like football. Basketball is definitely my most beloved sport to watch. Uh, definitely not necessarily play, but you know. You got you got me thinking about this. Uh, this one time, man. I um uh I went out to um visit Malik. And he was playing for the uh, the Spurs, and uh, <laughs> you talking about coaches. This reminded me, you know, because of course he played for one of the greatest coaches of all time, and Pop. Pop. So, um, what happened was, man, we went out there, and well, I went out there, and I, I don't remember who they were playing, but um, they sent him down to the D League while I was out there. It's like, yo, like we need Malik for this game. So, uh-huh. if you don't need them, can we get them? So, it's sent them to the D-League. So, I'm there. So, I hop on the flight, and we fly to New Mexico, me and Malik. Uh-huh. We get there right before tip-off. He barely had time to stretch, whatever, whatever. Then, after the game, they won. He played good, whatever. They call, like, yo, Malik, we need you back up here. Michael Finley just twisted his ankle. Mm. So we fly back. Uh, we fly back, um, mm-hmm. and you know, we flew. To, we flew to Utah. We flew to mm-hmm. Utah. They played the Jazz, and Malik was like, "Yo, what are we gonna do with my brother?" He was like, "You know, because uh, he had to travel back with the team now." Mm-hmm. So they was like, "Yo, he can just travel with the team." Mm-hmm. So I get on the plane, and um, first off. Everybody's seats are so far spaced out, so big. Yeah, because like, the mean, whole thing is first class. Like they had, uh, you know, last year they had that dude that looked like Lurk. What I mean, he played for the Pistons. Like, wasn't it Boban or, or uh, you know, <laughs> you got to be able to accommodate a seven yeah, foot yeah, seven. Yeah, yeah. Well, ain't that up my man name, Boban or, or you oh, know, the Lurk looking I, dude? I ain't him. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. One of the weird ass Europeans, but the Pistons took him, so he must not have been that dope. But but yeah, man. So I I walk on the um, yeah, it ain't spirit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the plane was crazy, man. So I walk in, I'm walking on there, and um, Greg Popovich he stops me and says, "What the hell are you doing here?" And I just stop. I just froze. Uh-huh. And he's just like, oh, no, I'm just kidding, man. Good to have you, whatever, whatever. And, <laughs> and the whole team just bust out laughing, man. It was, it was a classic moment, man. And, but, you know, like Malik, like Malik was telling me, like, man, you know, that's really Pop's personality, man. And, you know, he uh, you know, he really is one of the greatest coaches of all time, man. But he got that – he got that uh, – that, that that sense of humor, man. You yeah. know what I'm saying? If you get to know him, man, it's kind of cool, whatever. So, I, you know, I I really froze up in that moment. Like, I oh. Can believe. <laughs> like, oh. I mean, I'd have did that too. Yeah. Whereas yeah. if it was, uh, what's his name? If it was Mike Brown, you'd have been like, hey, man. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't know if you're going to be on this flight next week. <laughs> man, it, was, it was cool, man. And then, um. It was uh, the whole, like the fight was like catered by PF Changs and all that shit. I don't know, man. It was a cool experience. That's dope. That's dope. That's dope. So yeah, man. As we uh, as we wrap up, man, and I'm gonna have to definitely get you back because I can talk to you for a long time. As we yeah, see, for sure. what um, how do people get in contact with you? What's next? Uh, you know the, the general rundown. Yeah, stuff. for sure. Um, you can uh, you can follow me on all social media. It's at offrip o f f r i p. Um, you know Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all of those. Okay. Um, 
And as far as what's next, man, um, we're gearing up to release Bad Boys 3. I've started on my next uh, solo album. Okay. Um, it's called My Friends Call Me Often. Crazy, she's so out of mind. These bitches do 